Second Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 17. And the holy word of God reads, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to, the, to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced sorcery, divination, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved image he had made and put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your forefathers, if only they would be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and ordinances given through Moses." But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with the bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city, David, the city of David, west of the Gihon spring of the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places but only to the Lord, their God. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. You may be seated. I would like to speak to you this morning from the title, The Miraculous Rehabilitation of a Sinner. The Miraculous Rehabilitation of a Sinner. And in this message... I want, us, I want us to focus on and see the miracle that occurs when a sinner repents. Just about everyone enjoys hearing about a miracle. Hearing about a miracle, something that defies logic and just defies uh, explanation. And that is exactly what a miracle is. It, it's an event that occurs that cannot be explained by natural causes. And so we see this and we, we enjoy these miracles and from time to time we hear miraculous stories from, about people uh, surviving horrific car accidents or, or people being miraculously healed from terminal illnesses. And these stories, they truly do touch our heart. I think they give us a sense of hope and a sense of joy in the midst of despair or discouragement. And so it's, a, it's, it's truly a, a blessing to be able to see when a miracle happens. There was a story recently, many of you may have heard about it, uh, about a woman who survived 17 days under a collapsed building in Bangladesh. Survived 17 days. Now, that's a miracle, to survive under a collapse of a building for 17 days. This morning, praise the Lord, we have before us a miracle of Alexis here this morning. Amen. Amen. Just the miracle that God has done in her life as well. 
I know the doctors were there, but the doctors were only tools. God was the, re- he was the source of that miracle. Amen? So we see all of these miracles. There are many other miraculous stories like that as well, but, but no story is more miraculous than the story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ raising from the grave in three days. Every other miraculous story pales in comparison to Jesus Christ being risen from the grave. No miracle has come close to surpassing the importance or the popularity and the significance than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. While no miracle comes close to the resurrection, I'm amazed by this particular story about Manasseh. If you really know what kind of goes on as we look at this particular story of King Manasseh, Manasseh was king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He, was, he reigned as the king of the southern kingdom of Judah for 55 years. That's a very long time. In fact, he reigned as king longer than any other king that Israel ever had. More than David, more than Solomon, more than any other king. He was the son of, of one of Israel's beloved kings, uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the very few good kings that Israel had. Out of all the kings that they had, there's, there's only about seven kings that God said that were good in his eyes. But Hezekiah was actually one of those kings. And so we see Manasseh, but Manasseh was, seemed like he was cut from a different stone because he certainly was not anything like his father, Hezekiah. Manasseh wasn't anything like his father. All he knew uh, was sin. And, and that's what's so amazing about this story and what's so miraculous about it because we get to see how Manasseh's life completely changed. Uh, He made a 180-degree turn from where he was headed before. He was a king who lived the majority of his life in rebellion to God, doing and defying what God had called him to do. And yet we see this miraculous change that comes about. He didn't follow God's ways, and in fact, Manasseh probably led Israel to break just about every commandment or every rule that God had, had told the Israelites to follow. He, told, he, he, he led them down uh, that, that wide road of destruction. Although God had provided and, 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 and told them what they were to do and how they were to live, Manasseh uh, lived completely opposite that. But we see this miraculous rehabilitation of Manasseh. And this miraculous rehabilitation comes about because of Manasseh's repentance. Because he repented back to God. That's what repentance is. It's turning from our sin back to God. When we're going down the wrong road, when we're headed down the wrong road, when we're living for our own selves, when we're living only for our own pleasure, when we're living only for our own benefit, for our own glory, we're headed down a wrong road. But if we repent and turn back to God, uh, that is a truly a miracle. And we see this taking place with Manasseh. Manasseh's story is a great illustration of what true repentance, true genuine repentance really looks like and how the miraculous work of God uh, comes about in our lives when we repent. We will be be wise not to overlook uh, the significance and the importance of repentance. We hear the word repent quite a bit uh, in in our church house and we, we talk about repentance but we, we don't want to overlook repentance because repentance is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for salvation. Without repentance, we cannot be saved. Somebody might say, well, I thought faith was important. Faith is, faith is, 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 is just another uh, head on, on the same coin. It's just the, the other side of the, it's the same coin. You can't repent without exercising faith in God. Once you turn from your sins back to God, you're putting faith in God. And so without repentance, there is no salvation. Jesus Christ himself said that unless you repent, you too will perish. And so we see the significance of repentance. And as we look at this passage, we can see three things that stand out when talking about repentance. One, we see the need for repentance, the look of repentance, and the fruit of repentance. The need of repentance, the look of repentance, and the fruit of repentance. As we look at the need of repentance, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus Christ to see that Manasseh was truly evil. 
You don't have to see that, uh, you don't have to be a believer or a Christian to see that Manasseh certainly was uh, uh, vain and, and, and certainly did what he wanted to do. We look at all the things that, that Manasseh did in this chapter 33. It talks about how he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 3 of this chapter 33, he says, it says he, re, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the bells and, and made Asherah poles. So within the temple of God, which I may add, which was very significant to the people of Israel, Manasseh comes and he begins to bring in all of these idols, all of these gods, bells and Asherah poles. He, he puts up altars for these gods. Altars were certainly important vessels for the Israelites because it, it signified worship and sacrifice to God making offerings before God. And so in the temple, of which was very important to God, which was significant to the Israelites, we see Manasseh bringing in these, these idols and all of these gods. He's bowing down and worshiping these gods. He's, he's bowing down and worshiping astrological bodies, moons and stars and all of these things. He's, he's practicing uh, uh, witchcraft and, and sorcery. He, he even sacrificed his own sons in the fire. That's how bad Manasseh was. Second Kings 21, the parallel passage for Second Chronicles 33, it tells us that he spilled so much innocent blood that it filled Jerusalem from end to end. So we see the depravity of Manasseh's heart. Imagine seeing Manasseh bringing in all of these carved images into the temple of God, of which God, God spent so much time from Exodus 24 all the way to about Exodus 31 or 32, you could see this, the, 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 the level of detail God went through in order to, to impress upon the people what his temple was to be like. He told them how the, the altar was to be made, what type of wood it was to be made out of. He, he told them what type of clothes the priests should have on. He told them how to approach the altar, who was to come into the Holy of Holies. He, he laid before them some specific and very fine details about what the temple was to be like. And he did this because it was to, it was to represent the presence of God the very presence of God. And, and yet, this was the presence of God. This was the place in which Israel would come and would worship God. This very place, Manasseh comes and he, he brings in all of these carved images, all of these idols, all of these practices within the temple of God. He didn't do it at home. He brought it to the temple. And you look at this, you're like, man, how could... How could, how could he do such a thing like that? The temple was the, 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 the center of Jewish life. It's hard for us to imagine it because everything doesn't necessarily center around the, the church building, per se, or the church today. But everything centered around the temple for the Israelites. Everything. And so we see the significance of this, but we see Manasseh defiling God, profaning God's name, moving in these foreign idols, and, and he had no reverence or no fear for God at all. Manasseh's actions would be kind of like me coming into the church house and, and saying, well, you know what, I'm going to bring a little, little carved image of a Buddha or something. We're going to place those up throughout the church house. We're going to, rather than doing scripture reading today, we're going to read Palms today. Rather than doing Bible study, we're going to look at our horoscopes today and we're going to see what it says for my month of my birthday. And, and rather than having the cross up on the wall, why don't we bring the cross down and put it on the floor and just leave it by the floor? It, it, it's somewhat equivalent to that, but, but even it's, it, it, it's even kind of worse than that. And so sometimes we look at, we look at what Manasseh did, and we, we, we have this disconnect, and we're like, man, I, I can't relate to, to bringing in these idols and stuff like that. I, you know, I ain't got no idols in my life, but, but a lot of times we, we, we carry our idol right around with us all the time, right? I mean, this is like, I can't go home without it. My phone, my cell phone, right? I mean, the preacher's preaching, and we're on our cell phones like, hey, I'm looking to see who's texting me. I know God's word is going forth, but I got to have my idol, right? I can't leave my house without my idol. We don't say, I, I can't leave my house without God. I can't leave house without my, my phone. 
See how important it is. You're talking to somebody, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm just texting. I'm, I'm multitasking, doing it at the same time. I can hear you, and I'm texting at the same time. I got I to gotta hear my idol. I got to hear my God. When I wake up in the morning, I got to see what's on my phone. Facebook, when I go to bed at night, I got to see what's on my phone. That's, that's my idol. My idol, keep it in my pockets. My idol, everywhere I go, my idol goes. Coming to the church house. It's my idol. We're going we're gonna to bring it up to contemporary times. Because it's hard. We get that disconnect. And, and, and if we're real, we, we sometimes, we, we look at this like, no, it, it's not an idol to me, right? But can you go a day without your idol? Can you go a day without your phone? Look, I got to have people calling me, right? I got to have a pe- important people. I got to have my phone with me. Can't have a disconnect. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I understand because... There are times when I'm like, man, I got I to gotta put this on the side or something because if somebody texts me or rings, it feels like I got to an answer right away. And... But when God calls us to do something, how do we respond? When we come into the church house, are we looking to hear from God? Or are we looking to see what the next text message is going to be? So we have our idols, just like Manasseh had his idols. Verse 6, it tells, he says, It says, he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. It doesn't matter. It does matter, but it's not as important what what other people say about you. It's what God says about you. We know throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, it always says they did good or they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else's standards are. It doesn't matter what other laws they pass that make them legal to do this or do that. It's, it's what is in the eyes of the Lord that makes the difference. Because it's before him that we have to stand. And so we see it being declared that Manasseh did much evil. It's not enough just to say he did evil, right? It says he did much evil. Mucho. Right? I learned that back in Puerto Rico or something. I don't, I don't know. Did much evil. After looking at Manasseh, it's easy for us to, to look at his life and, and to say, yeah, he, he, Manasseh needed to repent. He got what he deserved, right? It's easy for us to look at Manasseh and, and to kind of point the finger at him and say he, he deserved what he got. To bring something up in the church house like he did or to bring something up in the temple like he did. In fact, some of us are probably feeling a little bit better about ourselves right now this morning. Just looking at what Manasseh did. Like, man, I thought I was bad. Looking at Manessa's story, we, we, start to, we may have be tempted to feel a little bit better about ourselves. I know I fudged a little few numbers on my tax returns or whatever, but, but I, I didn't bring anything up in the church house like, like Manessa did. And so it's, it's easy. There's that temptation for us to look at what Manessa did and for us to look down on and say, I don't see how he could do that. I don't see how they could do that when they saw what God had done. When God was in their presence and God performed miracle after miracle in front of many, and he sent prophet after prophet to tell them. And I can hear them saying, when they, they sent prophet after prophet to Manasseh. They sent Isaiah, and Isaiah was prophesying during that time. And I, I can hear the Manasseh and the other one saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard it before. Nothing's going to happen. Baal and Asherah were just as important to them as God. Actually, maybe even more important. Those were idols or gods of fertility. Being in an agrarian society, fertile crops and everything were important to them. And so they get these gods of Baals and Asherah, and Manasseh's putting them in the temple, saying our land is going to be fertile because we're worshiping Baals, we're worshiping Asherah, we're doing sorcery, we're doing witchcraft, we're going to make sure that no stone is unturned. We're going to worship everything. And again, it's easy for us to point the finger, to look down, we start to feel a little better about ourselves when we come across someone who, has, who has, has done things like this. Think about it. When we see someone on TV who's committed a heinous murder or some type of crime that just really crawls up under our skin, we don't say, well, I need to go pray for that person or I pity that person because they got to stand before God. We kind of stand over in judgment as if we're, we're better. But do we need to repent to God any less than Manasseh did? Are we any, any, any less in need of God's grace than Manasseh is? 
And the answer is absolutely not. Regardless of what Manasseh did, putting his, his sons through the fire, killing and murdering his sons and, and bringing idols into the church house, I stand in need of God's grace and God's mercy just the same as Manasseh did. You and I stand in need of God's forgiveness. You and I stand in the need to repent to God just as much as Manasseh did. No less. No less. Acts 17.30 says that in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I like that. He commands all people everywhere to repent. No one's excluded. Everyone must come and to repent before God. It's that important. What Manasseh did to the physical temple of God is equivalent to what we expose our bodies to today. If we, 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 we keep it uh, correct, the, the temple, again, was God's place of, of presence. The temple couldn't contain God, but God's Shekinah glory was, was resident in the temple. But in the New Testament, those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he, he tells us that we are God's temple. God dwells within us. And so where we expose our bodies to, whatever we expose our bodies to, we are exposing God to. So if I'm in sexual promiscuity, having sex outside of marriage, in marriage that is not biblical marriage, or anything of the such, I'm exposing, if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm a Christian, I'm exposing God to those idols. And it's so easy. We have before us on the TV and, and on the computer and, and everywhere we go, the magazines, the, everything is, 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 is filled with, with sexual images so that we will become fixated and, 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 and just become... A, 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 you know, just have an affection for these things. And, and they become idols to us. And if we're Christian, if we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we expose ourselves to that. When we are addicted to drugs and taking drugs, we are exposing God's body, God's temple to these idols, just the same as Manasseh did when he brought up idols within the temple of God. We are God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Oh, praise God. He says, you are that temple. You are the temple of God. But sometimes we, we look at it so casually and so half-heartedly, just as Manasseh did. The temple didn't, wasn't, it lost its importance with them. It wasn't as important to them as it, as it used to be. It wasn't sacred to God, as it, as, to the Israelites, as it used to be. And so they brought, brought in all these other idols. It was no problem for them to bring in these things. It was no problem for them to set up other altars, beside God saying there should be no other altars. It was no problem because it had lost its importance, its significance. We're tempted to look at ourselves as being better than the murderer, the thief, or the prostitute. But truth is, everyone stands equally in need of God's repentance before God, from the murderer to the judge, from the terrorist to the fireman, from uh, the, the adulterer to the faithful spouse, everyone stands equally in need of God's grace and his mercy. So the need is there for me to repent, just as Manasseh needed to repent before God. We were all riding dirty before we gave our, lives to Christ, our life to Christ who cleaned us up. We were all riding dirty, covered in sin until we gave our life to Jesus Christ. So when I look upon someone else who has done the things that Manasseh has done, 
It should cause me to reflect on what I've done before God and to fall down in adoration and praise. Because I know that that too could be me if it was not for God's grace. If it was not for his love holding me. If it was not for him keeping my, my mind sane, then, then there I go as well. Sin, the one thing we see is sin is an equal opportunity implored. It is. Sin is an equal opportunity implored. Sin don't care anything about your credentials. You can, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, black, white, privileged, underprivileged. It, sin does not care. Sin, the employment rate for sin is, or the unemployment rate for sin is 0%. 0%. It's an equal, everyone is employed in the business of sin. But when we accept Jesus Christ, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we've retired from a life of sin. It's not that we don't sin anymore, it's just that we don't make a living out of sinning. <laughs> that's, that's the key. That's the key. It's not that we don't sin, it's just we're no longer making a living. It's not our business that we don't live. We don't, we don't, we don't do it to make a living. So praise God for repentance. Are you employed by sin? Does sin have a hold of you? Manasseh is not the only one who needed to repent. Every one of us stands in the need of repentance. But you know what? (laughs) Manasseh's story showcases God's grace and his mercy. Manasseh's story showcases God's God's love toward those who are still sinners. When God could have struck down Manasseh, God, Manasseh could, there was nothing Manasseh could could, could offer God. But yet God was merciful to Manasseh. Look at verse 13 of chapter 33. After all the things that Manasseh has done, the chronicle, chronicles from verse 1 through I don't know, about nine, about what Manasseh had done. Then verse 13 says, And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea, so he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. So what do we have there? We have forgiveness. God forgave Manasseh. God is so forgiving. God doesn't care if you're an adulterer, a murderer, a thief, a liar, a cheat. Whatever it is, he doesn't care if we repent and turn to him, we can be forgiven of our sins. His grace is sufficient for the worst of the worst. His his blood is so powerful that it covers over all of our sins. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, or what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. God's blood is, Christ, the blood of Christ is sufficient. And praise God for his blood. And the one thing that we see, that God guarantees forgiveness for those who repent. It's guaranteed that God will forgive the sinner that comes before his throne and comes before him repenting of their sins. It doesn't matter what you've been doing. All you need to do is turn from your sin and and put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, and God will forgive you. No strings attached. You'd be like, man, that's too good of a story. That's too good to be true. No, it's not too good to be true. It is too good to be true, but it is true. It's true. God guarantees healing for every soul that turns to him. Have you ever purchased anything that that came with a, with a guarantee, you know, a product. Products come with guarantees. And, and how does that guarantee work? If it, if it breaks or doesn't work right or, or whatever it is, that guarantee, all you need to really do is just to, all you need to do is take it back to the manufacturer, send it back to the manufacturer. You don't have to pay for anything. The guarantee comes when you, when you made that purchase. All you need to do is to send it back to the manufacturer. I've experienced that just recently. I I had to buy a refrigerator just recently, and and it was working okay. And then not long after getting it, part of it stopped working, and and then I had them come over and look at it, and they would have repaired it, but it was too expensive to repair it. But praise God for the guarantee, because all I had to do was to send it back and get another one in exchange. And oh, what, what an exchange God does for us. All of us 
we're broken because of our sins. We're all messed up in need of repair. And, and God says, all you need to do is to turn to me. And I have a replacement in the name of Jesus Christ that, that I sent to take your place that I sent to cover all of your sins, all of your brokenness, all of your mess. I sent Jesus Christ, the one who was perfect, the one who's not broken, but the one who was broken for your sins. I sent him to take your place. And all you need to do is to turn around to send it back. If you had a product that was defective, if you kept it and held on to it, instead of sending it back when it had the guarantee, then that's on us. God says all you need to do is to turn back from your sins and turn to me. All you need to do is turn back, go back to the original manufacturer of your soul. God says, I know you're messed up. I know you're broken. That's why I sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. You know, the amazing thing is God does, he doesn't just give a lifetime guarantee. Lifetime guarantee is not, that's no good. God gives an eternal life guarantee. An eternal life guarantee. God's like, okay, lifetime guarantee, that's good. We see something with a product that's got a lifetime guarantee. We're like, man, I'm, I'm set up. I'm good. I was like, lifetime, eternal life guarantee. Praise God for his faithfulness and for his goodness and for his mercy. We see that everyone stands in the need of repentance. Everyone is dirty. Everyone is covered by, in, in sin. But the great thing is, the good news is, is that God will receive anyone who, who turns from their sins back to him. And they will be clean and washed as if they had never done any of the sins that they have done and that they're going to do. That's good news. That's good news. So we see the need of repentance. Everyone needs repentance, but not only do we see the need of repentance, but we see the look of repentance. What does repentance look like? We talk about repentance quite a bit, but what does repentance look like? If we look at verses 10 through 13. It gives us a good picture of what it looks like. Verse 10, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with a bronze shackle, and took him to Babylon. And here it is in verse 12. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. This reveals if, if we're truly repenting to God. This, this shows whether we're truly repenting before God or whether we're just playing with God. Because this shows us what true repentance is. There are three things that, that stand out in what repentance is. First of all, repentance consists of reflection. Being able to reflect on our wrongs. The first thing we need to do is to reflect on how we've, we've sinned against God, how we have offended God. And we see this with God attempted to speak to Manasseh over and over and over again. He, he tried to send prophet after prophet, but they wouldn't listen. They were having too much fun. And enjoying themselves too much to pay attention to God. Does that sound familiar today? They're just having too much fun. I'll, I'll come to, I'll, I'll hear God later on. You know, I, right now, I, no, having too much fun. So God stopped talking and he started doing. He stopped talking and he started doing. Many of you as parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? When your kids act up, if I have to tell you one more time, if you ain't a parent, you can't understand, but you know what I'm talking about. If I have to tell you one more time, and, and you're, you're trying to give them warnings because you love them, that, that, that shows the love. When God showed his love, he says, I tried to speak to you, but you wouldn't listen to me. My kids make fun of me all the time because I used to have, the, I had the saying when, when, specifically when Junior would mess up, I'd say, you know, I can't even remember what I used to say. I'd, I'd say something to the effect of, but we're going to have it out. You keep on, we're going to have it out. And, and now they may, he makes fun of me. He's like, what, is that? what did that really mean, we're going to have it out? And, and, I, and I, I was like, you don't want to know what we're going to have it out means. I'm, I'm trying to help you understand 
you don't want me to go to where we're going to have it out. Make fun of it, but you don't want to go there. And so God is telling them, Manasseh, he was trying to tell them, I, I tried to speak to you, but you wouldn't listen to me. And so God put him in bondage. He took, he took him and put him in bondage. God took, took a people who didn't worship him, took the Assyrians, and he used them against Manasseh to put him in bondage. And it was while Manasseh was in bondage that he had an opportunity to reflect. That's it. He had an opportunity to reflect on what he had done. God doesn't always work in this way, but, but it's not beside God to disrupt our lives so that he can get our attention. Because a lot of times we just won't listen any other way until God brings up some type of catastrophe or some issue in our life. We, we just, we're just too preoccupied with our sin and the busyness of life to listen to God. So God says, okay, I got I to gotta take you off the rails a little bit, and then you will listen to me. And so it may be a burden to us at times, but that burden is a blessing when it leads to reconciliation with God. Because it demonstrates God's love. So God has to disrupt our lives sometimes so that we will listen to him, so that we will reflect. You know, we just, again, the, the, the sin and the busyness of life just preoccupies us so much that we don't, we don't have time to reflect on, on God. We're just moving to and from, and we're just in our sin, and it just seems so natural and so normal. We become so numb to it that it's hard for God to get our attention. We've read God's word so much that it's like, okay, I've read it before. I like the story. Sounds good. Praise God. Amen. But that's it. No repentance. It's not until the Lord sits us down that we can reflect on our sin. Sometimes he puts us in places where we have no, oppor- no, other, no other choice but to reflect, but to think. Sometimes, you know, I do my best meditating the few minutes be- when I'm laying down before I go to sleep. Because I'm not so preoccupied with everything that's going on. I'm, a few minutes it takes before I get ready to go to sleep, I'm like, man, I wish I thought about this earlier. Because we're just too preoccupied. And, and reflection is important. The first step in, reporting in, in repentance is so important that we reflect, be able to get away and say, Lord, how have I offended you? Repentance is, doesn't just include reflection, but it also includes remorse. Remorse for our sins. We see remorse in verse 12, where it says, In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. Manasseh felt true remorse. This wasn't a remorse that came about just because he got caught doing wrong things. Sometimes that's how we look at remorse. I'm sorry. Are you sorry because you got caught or are you sorry because you were doing what you did? God's word, it says there's a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is that sorrow that comes because we have offended God, regardless of anyone else knows about it or not. Whether anyone else knows about our adulterous affairs, whether anyone else knows about what we do in the closet, it doesn't matter. We're sorry because we know we've offended God. Not because someone else is going to find out. So Manasseh felt true remorse. The key word here in that verse 12 is humbled. That's how you identify true remorse is humility. Humility springs from a remorseful heart. And when we are humbled, we agree with God that he's right and that we're wrong. That's what humility looks like. And until that happens, we will continue to to try to justify our actions or justify our sins until we are humbled before a holy God. I like what David says. He gives us a picture of this humility in Psalm 51, verse 4. It says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David had just 
committed adultery and, and had Uriah killed. And he, he comes before God. He's the king. Doesn't know anyone anything. But he knows that he stands before a holy God. And he says, before you and you alone have I sinned, God. Humility is the soul. Humility is to the, to the soul, to what the pulse is to the body. It's an indication of life. That's what humility is to the soul. There's, a, there's an indication that there's, some, there's still some life there. There's still something to work with. God is checking. He's checking for that pulse. He's checking to see if we've, we've got humility, if we're, if we're humble in our, in our repentance. So not only do we see reflection is necessary, but we see remorse is also a key. But repentance doesn't stop there. If you stop there, it's not repentance. If you just reflect and you just feel sorry for what you did and there's sorrow, but that's it and that's nothing else, then it's not repentance. But we see here in verse 13, and when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to, to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Repentance not only includes reflection and remorse, but it also includes redirection. Not just simply reflection and remorse, but redirection. The very meaning of repentance is to turn back from your sin to God. Many times we reflect on our sin and we are remorseful, but not to the point of actually turning from our sin back to God. And if you are convicted of your sin, but flat out refuse to stop doing what you're doing, if you know that it's a sin, you have not yet repented. You can ask for forgiveness all you want before God. Lord, forgive me. But if you aren't having a, a conscious, heartfelt desire to turn from that what you're doing and to point back to God and trust in his forgiveness, then it's not repentance. Does that mean you're not going to sin again? doesn't mean that. We're going to deal with that a little bit, but it does not mean that you won't sin again. Just like, just like we said before, it just means that you're not making a, a, a life or a habit out of sinning. You're not walking in sin. If you, if you don't exercise that redirection, if you don't turn around, your heart has not been broken for God. God is calling us to live a life in his shadow, to walk with him and not against him. As I said before, repenting does not mean that we will no longer fall into sin, but it does reflect a change in our heart toward sin. It changes our, our heart and our, our, our thoughts about sin, and that, and that change of heart leads to a change in direction. Not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, which God gives us for those who turn back to him. You no longer do the things you do or go the places you go. And it's not because you're, you're older, but it's because God is healing you. It's because God is working on you. The first sign that we are remorseful and are turning back to God is prayer. The first sign that we are remorseful and turning back to God is prayer. I'll say that there cannot be repentance without prayer. How can you turn back to God and demonstrate your, your trust and your dependence on God if you're not praying to God? Verse 12 and 13, it, it says that in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord. A little bit further down, it says that, and when he prayed. Throughout Scripture, wherever we see repentance taking place, genuine repentance, we see one coming and praying before God. Manessa constantly poured his heart out to God in prayer. And prayer demonstrates that we're putting our trust in God. We're seeking to restore a, a broken relationship with him and through, our, through, through our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. When David repented before God, he fasted and he prayed. When Paul was Saul and he repented before God, we find him praying. God said, you will, find, you will find him praying to me when you see him. Why? That repentance. 2 Chronicles 7.14, we're, 
very familiar with that. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. God says the prescription in your repentance needs to be prayer. It needs to be a part of it. If you want to please God, then pray. If you want to move God's arm, then pray. If you want to touch God's heart, then pray. If you want to show God that you're serious about turning from your sins, then pray. I like what Jim Cimbala said. He says, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. God just can't resist it because it's in his nature, his character to respond to those who respond in humility and in prayer. So not only do we see the, the need for repentance and the look of repentance, but this passage also shows us the fruit of repentance. And this is key as well, the fruit of repentance, verses 14 through 17. It says, after he rebuilt the outer wall of the city David of David, west of the Gihon Spring, in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and encircling the hill of Ophel, he also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. In verse 15, he got rid of all the foreign gods and removed them the image from the, the temple of the Lord, as well as the altars he had, re, he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he, he threw them out of the city. We see the fruit of his repentance. What is meant by the fruit of repentance? It means that there's visible results from you turning back to God. When we turn back to God, there is growth in our character. And God reaps the return of his investment in our lives. Fruit is, is, is us bearing Good fruit for God, something that God can use, something that glorifies God. And so when we turn from our sin back to God, when we repent, there's to be, there's to be some visible sign that there has been repentance. And we see that in verse 15 through 17. We see Manasseh going through all of these reforms because he has repented. He's, he's a different person. If you just picked up in verses 15 through 17 without reading the other verses 1 through, through 10, you would think that it's a different person. And it is a different person. It is a different person. He's not the same person because he repented and he turned back to God. There are many investment options in the financial market today. And there's a lot of ways you can invest your money into something but if you're investing your money and you're not getting much return on it, then you're investing in the wrong thing. But we see for those who invest their life in God, there's a guaranteed return on that investment. And God, is the, 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 God receives the benefit of that investment. As we invest ourselves in him, we start to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And God is glorified through our, through, through our uh, investing of our lives to him. If we're, aren't growing, if, we're, if we're not growing more like Jesus Christ, then that means we're not investing ourselves in God. What are we investing ourselves in? God took an idol-worshiping, self-sacrificing, self-centered, murdering king and turned his life upside down. And it started with him repenting. He was a new man. I can imagine the people in Israel were just saying, what got into Manasseh? What got into the king? He went to Assyria, and when he came back, he was a different person. Now somebody might say, well, it's because he was in bondage, he was locked up. No, that being locked up and things like that, it may last for a little while, but if you ain't Serious about God, it won't last. It won't last. We see the fruit of his repentance. So that's how we know there was genuine repentance. 
If God had brought him back and there was no fruit, then we know that there was no real, genuine repentance. The fruit of turning from sin to God produces true freedom and new worship. True freedom and new worship. We see Manasseh, he was in bondage before. God gave Manasseh new life and set him free from his bondage. I'm not talking about his bondage to Assyria, but his bondage to sin. He was in bondage to sin and and God set him free. Once he turned to God, God set him free. Praise God because he is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth, eight times two, two times. I don't, you can, whatever you want to say, God is a God of chances. Praise God. God gives life that is free from the bondage of sin and freedom to live without fear of condemnation or death. That's the type of true freedom that God gives. Christ has set us free. He sets those free who turn to him and recognize that he is the only one who can make us brand new. Romans 6.22 says, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit, in the ESV version, I think it says, the fruit The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. He says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God rather than slaves to sin. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness. That's the fruit of repentance. Not only do we see true worship or true freedom being the fruit of repentance, but we also see new worship. We see Manasseh before, he was bringing in all of these idols into the temple of God. He was bringing in all these idols, Baals and Asherahs. He was practicing sorcery and witchcraft and all of these things. The temple was filled with all of these different images and everything in the temple of God. But what happened when Manasseh got back? He removed everything. I'm cleaning house. I'm removing everything. I'm restoring the temple of God back to what it's supposed to be. And he got new worship. He was no longer worshiping the idols. He was no longer pursuing those things that were vain, but he says, I now know who the true God is, and I will worship him. He rid the temple. Are you ridding your temple of the idols that have been built up, that you have been holding on to? Have you you turned to God and said, Lord, I'm going to get rid of these, these idols? I know it it, it hurts me to do it and and it's tough for me to do it, but I'm going to get rid of these idols because I love you, because I worship you and you alone, because you're worthy. That's what worship is, worth-ship, what God is worth to you. God, you are worth to me more than anything else, so I will worship you. Everyone is worshiping something or someone. Whether you're a believer, unbeliever, everyone is worshiping something or someone. And I know sometimes we feel free because we can do whatever we want to do, but that that freedom is is like a mirage in the desert. It's an illusion. It looks like freedom, but it's not true freedom. The The more you keep going to it, it's like, man, it keeps moving. It's not because it's not real. Satan wants to make us think that this is what life is about, that this is what freedom is about. And he'll convince us that being with God is what keeps us in bondage, that you, you're, you're not free if you're in God. But Christ said, I, I, I came to set you free. I'm the one who gives life and give it abundantly. Manasseh used to worship idols and all sorts of things. The, the key word it says is used to. Many of us here have a used to testimony. We Used to do things for only our own benefit and for our own selves. We used to live for the pleasures of this world. We used to lust after the things of this world. We used to do a number of things. But God, because we repented, that's why they're used to's. Because that's what we used to do. But this is what I now do. I now worship the Lord. I now see Jesus Christ as my Savior. I now know of his grace and his mercy. I now know of his love. I now know of the price that he paid on Calvary's cross on my behalf. I now know that I'm a child of the king. 
I now know that my, my salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. I now know that I'm going to heaven, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. I now know. This is what I used to do. Old things have gone. New things have come. You're now a new creation. And praise God. Sometimes we might find ourselves asking why God doesn't perform miracles now like he did in the Bible. Why doesn't God do like he did back in the Bible? Why doesn't he heal and why people aren't getting healed in, the, in people's shadows like he did in the Bible? The answer is God is doing miracles even today. Look around the sanctuary. Look at your neighbor. If they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. We didn't come to Jesus Christ. We didn't repent and turn from our sinful ways because we had it all together, or because we just all of a sudden had this, this wealth of knowledge and wisdom and we saw that God was good. No, it was because God first worked on us. It was because of his grace and his mercy that we turned to him. And so it's a miracle because it's not something that we do. It's not something that's done with natural causes. It's a supernatural thing that God does in us. And so praise God that he still does miracles today. Each and every person here who has turned from their sins back to Jesus Christ is a miracle. Don't say you've never experienced a miracle. You are the miracle. You are the miracle. Your life may have been ragged. Your life may have been messed up just like Manasseh. But you and I being saved is no less than a miracle than Manasseh, what Manasseh did. Is there anyone here today who hasn't repented, who has not repented of their sins by turning to Jesus Christ for salvation? God can do a miracle in your life if you will simply turn to him. God's not asking you to, to pay for anything because you can't pay for his salvation. God's not asking you to bring anything but just to bring yourself. He says to come as you are. All you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God can do a miracle in your life. But you got to turn, you got to repent. God is the only one who can perform the miracle of healing the soul. We can't heal the soul. That's God's work. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, I urge you to do as Manasseh did. And to turn, to reflect, to experience remorse, and to return to God. Put your faith and your trust into Jesus Christ. On the screen is going to be put a statement here. That statement says, the, the miraculous rehabilitation of blank. It's blank because there's somebody here who can put their name in that blank. You can put your name in that blank if you have given your, your life to Jesus Christ. The miraculous rehabilitation of whoever, you, whatever your name is. But there's somebody here who hasn't their name's not in the blank because they haven't turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Today is your opportunity to do that. If you want to experience the transforming power of God, all you need to do is turn back to him who gives living water and gives it freely. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we truly are... are in awe of you, Lord, when we reflect on the depravity, the wretchedness of our hearts. And even however much we reflect on it, Lord God, it still falls short to how sinful we are. But yet, Lord God, you demonstrated your love in us that while we were yet sinners, you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe and to trust in him would not perish but have eternal life. Father God, I pray for those who are here. I pray, Father, for that individual under the sound of my voice who has not turned from their sin, Lord, and put their faith in you.
Lord, I pray that you will remove any barrier, any distraction. Break their heart for you, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that you, Lord, will lead them before your throne. That they may know that you are the one who can make them brand new. That they can be pardoned of their sin. If they would just go back to you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.